So our scripture lesson today is from the uh, book of Ruth, and um, this is one of those do what I say, not what I do moments. You know that parenting line, right, parents? Um, So I'm going to read little snippets of this story, which kind of capture the parts I'm going to emphasize. That's a horrible way to read a story, right? I know when your kids are really little and they ask for the same book over and 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 over again, you start to try and do that, and they say, you missed a line, right? Because you're not allowed to do that. So don't do this. I hope you actually did what I encouraged you before, which is read the whole book ahead of time. If not, read it afterwards, right? Because it's a story and you don't chop stuff out. So is that enough of an apology for chopping half the story out as I'm about to read it? All right. Ruth, I'm going to read uh, chapter 1. I'll start at verse 11. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, and even I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. This they wept aloud again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Then in chapter 2, I'm going to start at verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the harvesters are working and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have reassured me and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. And then the beginning of chapter 3. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down... Note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And then the beginning of chapter 4. 
Meanwhile, Boaz went up to, town, to the town gate and sat down there just as the family guardian had, he had mentioned came along. And Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the family guardian, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these, those seated here and the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am the next in line. I will redeem it, he said. This is the word of the Lord. We don't know that's what Ruth looked like, but let's go with yes. Reckless inclusivity. Now for the second apology of this sermon. I don't know for sure if we have signs at the entrance that now say there's a place for you at Mountain View. Did anyone look closely on their way in, or do you do like me, just drive in and not actually look at the signs because you've been here too often? Anyone? There may be new signs at our entrances that say there's a place for you at Mountain View. That's our calmer version of reckless inclusivity. God is gonna be recklessly inclusive. We're gonna tell people at least this much, there's a place for you at Mountain View. So again, um, so next week you're actually gonna hear the entire genealogy of Matthew 1. I know you're excited about that. It's gonna actually be in song. Ruth Ann's gonna sing it. Um, but for now, I'm just going to again look at these three pieces, and I want you to notice again, Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. I skip a little bit. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Notice the mention of the women. Hang on to that thought. The last slide of this sermon will also be a genealogy, because I know how much you love genealogies. Loyal love. Last time, two weeks ago, I taught you the word chesed. Then I spelled it capital H, small e, capital S, small e, capital D. And then I watched somebody else talk about chesed and they spelled it this way. And I thought that's actually a lot more helpful. So if you're not Germanic, if you don't speak German or Dutch and you don't have a Hebrew background either, then KH is the sound you're looking for, <laughs> right? That's, you can do that, it's a G in Dutch, you know that. Chesed, that's how you say that. Loyal love is an excellent English, the best so far English translation of chesed. Um, the reason, by the way, that we pastors have to learn original languages, Hebrew and Greek, and they used to have to learn Latin is because there's so many words that you can't fully translate, and this is one of those. You can't capture the fullness of what loyal love means, what chesed means, um, and maybe that's why we just keep coming back to all the stories of God in the Bible that kind of continue to teach us. And this is another example. This is another way of seeing it. This is another explanation of his incredible loyal love. And Ruth, this story is one of those. Ruth is a love story. So you can read this, and if Disney did this story, you'd go, ah, and you'd love it that they got married at the end and there was a baby, right? And that is true in here. This is a romantic love story. You can't deny that. It is quite interesting, by the way, when you study the history of interpretation of the book of Ruth, the church has always been a little bit 
shy about the fact that people are having relationships that produce children. And we're still shy enough about it, so that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, but this story is a wonderful love story. I don't know if you know this about the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is a love story. It's about physical intimacy, right? For years, the church interpreted that as it's actually just an analogy of Jesus and the church and has nothing to do with the love that happens between two people in a romantic way. It does. It's exactly what it's all about. The Bible has no issues with talking openly about what goes on in this world. We, on the other hand, have decided some things are a little more off-color than others. Ruth is a love story on the romantic level, but it's also, of course, a story of chesed. And I want to suggest to you that romantic love and chesed love, faithful love, right, those kinds of things actually tie right together. And if you're in a meaningful relationship, you should have romantic love. And if you're in a meaningful relationship, there better be this kind of chesed, loyal love, this commitment kind of love, and those kinds of things have to hang around together. That's my wedding sermon. You've got it in a nutshell right there. So I'm going to point out all the different kinds of loyal love that we see in this story. We're going to start with God's loyal love for Naomi. And it starts this way. This is chapter 1. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, because, which means bitter, by the way, because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So what happened was Naomi, with her husband and her two sons, moved during a famine to the land of Moab. My friendly neighborhood interpreter, Bema, suggested if there is a famine in Israel, the chances of there being a famine in Moab, which is just basically right across the Jordan River, is extremely high as well. Which raised the question, why would you go to Moab during a famine? probably because you were commanded not to go back to Egypt, because in, in Egypt there won't be a famine because Egypt is flooded by the Nile, which doesn't require rain every year, right? It happens like clockwork. Egypt is a place of plenty. But you go to Moab because you think perhaps maybe the God of Moab is going to take care of them better than our God is taking care of us. It was a religious move, all right? And so her stepping out and her family stepping out ends in bitterness, and when she says the Almighty has made me bitter, it's because she has also emptied herself of him in the same way that she's experienced the emptiness in return. And the second part of God's loyal love for Naomi is this. This is the end of the book, chapter 4. The women said to Naomi, sorry, this is a spoiler alert. This is how the story ends if you don't know. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. I'll explain that word later. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Now, if you know this story, you might be thinking, wait a minute, didn't he just say Ruth is the story of romantic love as well as chesed kind of love? Didn't Ruth and Boaz have a child? Why are they celebrating Naomi? And that gets you right into the depth of how this biblical story fits. God's faithfulness is not about any individual couple any individual church, any individual person, God's faithfulness, his loyal love, is about what he's planning to do for the entire world. And so the line of Naomi continues, right? She was the one who's emptied and filled, and filled up again, and it's through these people, Ruth and Boaz, and their faithful, loyal love that he works, all right? And so I think this gets us quickly into God's loyal love works through the loyal love of his people, 
right? So when we looked at Rahab a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the fact that God was so recklessly inclusive that he took in the prostitute Rahab, right, and allowed her to become part of his, his people. This time we're adding on, yes, that's how God works. He is recklessly inclusive with Ruth as well, but his reckless inclusivity works through our reckless inclusivity or our loyal love to other people. Unable to resolve. Manual connection, not seeing your pro presenter. Yes, I'm not seeing my pro presenter. Thank you. I knew that would work. Ruth's loyal love for Naomi. Ruth replied, again, we're back in chapter one, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. This is a vow. This is a vow. This is a commitment where someone says, I am giving myself to you. And the craziness about this vow is that she's making it to somebody who has nothing to offer her back, right? So in our culture, at least, where you get to determine for yourself who you marry for the most part, right? In those conversations, you, you, you don't call it negotiation, but you're negotiating, right? Does this person actually bring something to the table that I want? Do I, I like the way they function? Do, do we agree on a whole bunch of things? Do we share religious values? All those kinds of things. Ruth is coming in as a complete um, other to Naomi, and Naomi told her a couple times, don't come with me. I can't offer you another son who could become your husband eventually, and even if I could offer you a son, he's not going to grow up for a long time. Your age difference is going to be crazy, right? Just let go. And Naomi, when, or Ruth, sorry, when Naomi had nothing to offer her, says, I'm going to go with you anyways. I have this sense, I have this call that I need to be with you and let your people and your place and everything that's about you be my stuff as well. Ruth, as an outsider, as a stranger, says, I'm going to come hang around with your people who you left, who you rejected, and I'm going to trust that God is going to bless me through you. Next slide, please. Boaz's loyal love to Ruth. So... Let me give you a little backstory here, just in case you didn't read it already. So Ruth and Naomi come back. We read that Naomi says, call me Mara, which means bitter. And they realize there are two women in a country that's male-dominated and is is a patriarchy, and they have no standing. And so she's going to go out, really, we should say, she's going to go out and beg. Ruth's job is to go out and beg. And the way you beg in Israel is you go to the fields when they're gathering the harvest, and in Leviticus, there was a commandment that said, do not harvest the corners of your field, right? And see, we don't practice that in North America. I never see corn standing just at the corner of the field after you've harvested, right? We do it differently here. It's called the gleaners, right? Same idea. Gleaning is about saying, we're going to leave the corner of the field. We're going to leave a portion. We're going to make sure that the Canadian Food Grains Bank gets something of what's left over so that people who don't have can receive. And so Ruth goes, and she goes into the field of Boaz, and he sees her, and he's heard that she's made this vow. And so he says, my daughter, Ruth, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Stay here with the women who work for me. And a little later, I'm not sure if I'm going to show it again, he actually says, I've told my men not to harm you. Why would you need to tell somebody that I've told my men not to harm you? Because she's vulnerable, and she would be in danger. Brad prayed for, and we're in an awareness of 
women who've been hurt simply for being women, been overpowered because of a power disparity, right, who've been abused. And in this reality as well, the reason this rule is here is because it was very simple for Ruth to be pushed away. She's a foreigner, she's a woman, she has no standing, she's basically in a begging mode. She doesn't come with power. But Boaz has said, I give you my space and I've told my people to make sure you get enough food and enough drink that you're cared for, that you are protected. That's an incredibly honoring thing. Boaz's loyal love to Ruth, let me say, begins with his loyal love to God because he's saying, I'm going to obey the rules. These were God's rules, God's rules. Do not harm strangers and do not glean the corners of your field so that those people have something to eat as well. The way we're going to change the relationships in this world is by participating in God's loyal love by obeying the kind of quality rules he has in place in terms of justice. Next slide, please. So God's loyal love to Ruth. He says, Boaz says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth is a refugee. She's come under the domain of Israel, and Boaz, as an Israelite, is recognizing, I want to bless you, I'm going to do my part, but I also am going to pray for you that God will repay you, that God will walk with you, that God will find a way to fill up your life in all the ways that it's meant to be filled, right? Our loyal love, again, is a reflection of God's loyal love. When we um, encourage the Tui family to come um, and live among us, right, when we support them, when we give them housing and so on, when we work with any refugee circumstance, we are participating in God's act of loyal love. Next slide, please. And then what loyal love is this? This is where it gets a little bit confusing. So Boaz has been very kind to Ruth. He's noticed her. We're assuming he thinks she's pretty. He's attracted to her, whatever the exactly is going on there. We don't get the details of that, but you sense that there's an attraction. There's a wondering. He's asked about her. And so Naomi is now saying to Ruth, you got to go get this guy. That's in essence what she's saying here. And she says, he's going to be threshing tonight, so he's going to be working late, then he's going to have food and drink, and the implication is he's probably going to have some wine, so he'll be a little groggy when he's done, and then he's going to lie down. And as I understand, the reason he lies down right there in the threshing floor is because he doesn't have a lock and a key in the door. He's protecting his stuff, right? So he sleeps right there. That was the common practice of the day, as I understand it. But she says to Naomi, look where he lies down, and you got to take note of that because it's dark, so you're not going to be able to see. you got to find your way in there. And then go and uncover his feet, and you also want to make sure you're actually going to the right person. That's probably an important piece of this story as well. And lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. Is anybody else wondering why she said uncover his feet? You and me and every commentator in the world is wondering the same thing. We're not quite sure, so I'm going to give you an idea, all right? Um, we suspect, based on what happens, that this definitely has something to do with marriage and relationship, right? And we all know for sure it has nothing to do with anything we've ever done in our culture, because I don't know, I've never had anybody come to my feet and take the, well, maybe they might lift the covers off and then tickle my feet and wake me up. That's about all I've ever experienced. That's not what's going on here. It's 
likely that uncover your feet is actually a euphemism, and she covered a whole lot, uncovered a whole lot more, right? And I'm going to say this sort of in code, and if you want to translate this to people who don't understand the code, you go right ahead and do that. Um, but I want to keep aiming at the theological significance of what's going on here. So he's lying down. She comes in and takes his blanket off his feet and probably a whole lot more. And in doing so, of course, he is going to wake up because eventually you're going to get cold. But the way I understand it is when he wakes up and looks down and there's a woman at his feet, because he's been undressed, he's looking right past the sign of the covenant. Everyone catching up on that one? Enough people to know so you can tell everybody else what I mean by that? He's looking right past the sign of the covenant. And why was that the sign of the covenant? Because the covenant was about who are my offspring going to be? Remember, Naomi had nobody. Naomi, Naomi ends up with a child, right? And so the fact that reproduction is a key part of this covenant journey and that probably the best way to understand that is uncovering the feet meant a little bit more. He's looking down at her past the sign of the covenant. And he's being reminded, because he knows the rules, if someone like Naomi does not have a descendant, she loses everything. The only way Naomi is going to get a descendant is through Ruth. And so Ruth coming to you is Naomi saying, Boaz, will you marry Ruth so that I have a descendant and I don't lose everything? All right? Maybe not the most romantic way to do this, but there is romance in this story as well. He will tell you what to do. Next slide, please. So what he does is he says, okay, I'll do it. I will marry you. I will keep God's covenant faithfulness by obeying the very rules that God made, which is if somebody doesn't have children, the next in line should marry that person, have children with them, so their line carries on. And so he goes to the guy who's in line ahead of him and says, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabite. Sorry, women, that's exactly what it meant at that time, acquire. It was a purchase. The dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his prosperity. Boaz goes to the other guy and says, hey, you can buy this land. It's a good deal, in essence. But when you buy the land, you're buying Ruth, the Moabitess. And the guy says no. He was excited about the land idea, but unlike Boaz, he's stumbling over the fact that Ruth is a foreigner. She's going to bring questions just like Rahab, just like Tamar, the story we didn't do, just like Bathsheba, just like the Virgin Mary in the Christmas story, right? She was in an awkward position too. Again, it requires a loyalty to God's just mercy, love, those kinds of things. It requires, as we heard in the children's message, living out of the fruit of the Spirit deeply and fully in order to enter into where God wants you to go. And so this guy says, yeah, I'd love the land, but there's no way I'm bringing that kind of thing into my family because that's going to make people talk. That's going to make people talk. And I wonder sometimes, are we the kind of community that loves so recklessly, so fully, that's so loyal in our love that people out there are talking about how loyal our love to God is and what we're willing to do in his name? Boaz steps out in that way. Next slide, please. Then we get the genealogy. Through Ruth and Boaz, a child's born, and through that child, Obed, Jesse's born, Jesse becomes the father of David. 
You see this genealogy, though? This is how you do a genealogy. Ruth's not even in there. Naomi's not even in there. Matthew, again, I just want to point out, is reckless with his genealogy. He's going, I'm going to put in all these kind of outside characters because I want to make a point. The way God works is through loyal love, and he has his habit of being incredibly loyal in his love to the people we would probably leave off the list and for legitimate reasons. He goes to women. He goes to foreigners. He goes to people who've been estranged. He goes to people who are messy and broken. He goes to people like us who have a deep need for grace. And he doesn't say, what I need you to know about yourself is how rotten you are and how much you need grace. He goes to you and he says, I'm calling you into a life of faithfulness. I want you to identify yourself as a person who's been brought into my fold, who's been encouraged to live out of this kind of loyalty, and the second that you step out and say, you know what, I'm going to be loyal in my love too. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to step out in faith. God says, I invite you in. He doesn't say someday. He doesn't say, if you meet all of these standards, then I'll return your love. No, God's grace, his chesed, his loyal love is such that he says, just start walking in this direction. Just take that first step. Just say, I want to I love you, Jesus. I want to love you, God. I want to live by your rules. I want to I enter into a more meaningful relationship in this world. And that's how the line keeps going. Because, you know, it's no longer about birth, right? We're not celebrating that the McGee's had a baby so that few, now they can carry on the line of Jesus. Jesus already came. Now it's about relationships. Now it's about the fact that we are one great big family of God. Now it's about the fact that when we enter into a relationship with anybody on our street, any one of our neighbors, and we encourage them to take that first step of living out of loyal love to each other and to God, they're already on their way into the plan that God has for them. The genealogy of God's people today it's all those who are grafted into Christ, all those who are in relationship with Jesus, all those who are part of the journey of living out of that loyal love um, each and every day in the best way that they can. That's the community of faith started by people like Ruth and Boaz, fulfilled in Jesus Christ and carrying on in us today. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for showing us your line, your lineage. Thank you for the stories of the characters along the way. And Lord, there's some strange things in there and there's some challenging things in there, but mostly what we see is your faithfulness and your love. And God, we thank you that you sent your spirit to inspire people to live out of that loyal love. And Lord, we pray that when you also prompt us today to step out in faith and to include somebody, to love somebody, to be loyal to somebody, that we would go. Help us take this word of yours and make it our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.